Welcome to Professionally Challenged, war stories from leaders driving change in law firms. Your hosts are Rob Patterson of Parkins Lane Consulting Group and Paul Evans of Toro Digital. Today's guest is Sue Ella Pradonovich, the principal of Pradonovich Advisory. Sue Ella is one of Australia's leading specialists in business development for the professional services and business-to-business sectors. Her clients include some of the countries and the world's best law, accounting, IT, engineering and architecture firms. Suella has more than 20 years of senior level experience winning work and growing businesses in these complex industries. Over that time, she has given countless professionals the tools they need to attract and retain clients and build more profitable, more sustainable and more enjoyable practices. Before starting Pradonovich Advisory, Sue Ella was owner of PTB Consulting, a business development consultancy which she built and eventually sold to Crow Horworth, at the time Australia's newest mid-market accounting and advisory firm. After the sale, she became Crow Horworth's partner of business development services. Sue Ella has also held senior roles at other leading professional service firms, including a director of marketing at Arthur Anderson in Sydney, a director of business development marketing at Baker and McKenzie in Sydney, and a senior consultant at Rogan Sai. Welcome to the show, Suella. Thank you, Paul. Yeah, we thought we'd let off with a few icebreakers. So tell us, what was your first ever job? My first ever job was with Red Rooster. Oh, my I'm, too. I'm a, I'm a Perth girl, and so Red Rooster, that's where it started. It was huge, and so I was the ready red rooster girl, um, <laughs> and uh, I can still put a moist towelette in a serviette quicker than you can say actually anything. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. So the first job was at Red Rooster. What was your first yep. ever car? First car was a Ford Cortina. Oh, the V6? No, no, nothing. It's that, that's going a few decades after me. I'm thinking this might have been like a '70s model, so not uh, when they were square. They had the little round headlights. Yeah. And it's not the Lotus model; it was the other one. So it was the same time they're collaborating with Lotus. Ah, very good. Oh, cool. Here's a little fun fact. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> All right. Now, a more of a serious icebreaker. So, if someone knew you really well, what would they know about you that others wouldn't? Oh, I probably am a bit of an open book, but if they knew me really well, they'd probably know that I was more of an introvert and someone who enjoys a quiet time than than networking and and, and being out and about, which is well, seems to be what I do all the time. Oh, I would never have guessed that. All right, there you go, there you go. <laughs> well, tremendous. Okay, so as Paul said in, in the intro, Today we're looking in particular at customer surveys and how to avoid annoying or putting clients offside when you're actually conducting a survey, something that you're absolutely expert in. If I could kick off, it's not unusual for for marketing and BD professionals to encounter stern and sustained resistance from, from partners or law firms when they're implementing a client survey. Why do you think that is? I think that is... Robert, there's a couple of reasons, and it's usually different with with firms because this is law is still very much a human relationship, and everyone is different. So mm. maybe that's a, a broad <laughs> piece about generalisations. Mm. But if I thought 
where's the resistance coming from? Often it might come from partners who don't really want to place an imposition on their clients. Mm. Yeah. They really, you know, the client service and the idea of doing things that benefit the client is front and foremost. And so this can be put into a bucket like, you know, that you get those hotel feedback surveys and, you know, after you've stayed a night in a hotel. So I think sometimes it's put into that bucket and it's driven by not wanting to put an unnecessary imposition on clients. The second reason is because I find marketers and business developers can have approaches that become too inflexible and one way. Mm -hmm. Here is the way, you know, here is when we ask and here's the questionnaire that we have Mm. or here's the way we develop it or deliver it. And sometimes it's even included in their KPIs, you know, how many they get done. And a difficulty with that is that they will push it to get done to fit a performance review rather than, than in fact, the flexibility required as clients' um, time ebbs and flows. So that might be the, the systems, you know, in the firms. Mm. And the third reason is because there's some ambiguity, I think, or something there's some question marks about what what's going to be done with the information once you get <laughs> yes. client feedback. Don't you find that? Oh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. There's yeah. always a suspicion that um, how it might impact on the on the partner if if it's <laughs> negative. Exactly, yeah. exactly, and it's more than a suspicion because I see it done in some firms. And so, <laughs> if you know, if firms grab client feedback and that becomes either the brickbat or the bouquet that they make promotions on or access to profit draws on or bonuses, then you know, it creates a disincentive for having any of that feedback. And maybe that brings me to the, so I'm going to add one more, and yeah. I said three, but now this is the fourth. And that is because we have so strongly correlated positive feedback as being the best type of feedback. Yes. Yeah, right. From which at times you learn very little. Well, I'm thinking that if it's bad feedback, that that's a bad thing. But in Mm. fact, the interesting thing with lawyers is that sometimes they're brought in for the bad news. Mm. Sometimes they have to be firm. They have to be the hand, you know, that guides a client through something they don't even want to go. They didn't choose to just engage a lawyer for the fun of it. So they're there. To be firm and fair, and at the end of that, the client might not it might not have enjoyed the situation, but you know their feedback might be tough. But in fact, that's exactly what they needed to do, and that was the obligation of the lawyer as well. Yeah. So that would be the fourth bit. Okay, that's an interesting one. Yeah, because mm. it's yeah, it's a grudge purchase really. Buying legal services, you don't just it's not like going to an amusement park, which is for fun. This is something that you. I guess you don't really want to have to buy. It's just something you need to buy. You need to and and clients might not understand. There might be some issues. Let's say if you have a client with a a high appetite for risk and the lawyer Mm. discharging their professional duties, you know, advises against that. So it's a unique thing, I think. Well, it's unique with the legal profession that they do have their primary duties to the court. Yeah and the system, and Mm. then to the client. Mm. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So so just doubling back. So if the number one concern, and I don't think it's 
unfounded. Yeah. The, the possibility of annoying clients. Yeah. What are some of your tips to, to help avoid this? Okay, and now I'm going to really try and keep to three, Robert. <laughs> so, <laughs> so three tips for not annoying, you know, for avoiding that sort of annoying clients piece. Number one is timing. Mm-hmm. Give your clients plenty of choice, plenty of upfront notice that your firm or that partner does seek feedback. Mm-hmm. And that might be at the start of an engagement when you're letting, when you're inducting the client into your practice or you're letting them know how you work. It might be then that you mention that you do seek feedback. Mm -hmm. So don't make your deadline the client's deadline. Mm -hmm. The second thing I'd suggest is give your clients choice. Now, that could be choice to opt in or opt out. That might be choice as to who they give the feedback to. Some clients prefer to give feedback to an independent person. Some might prefer to give feedback to the individual who's been they've been working with yeah. and give it to them directly. So give them when you ask for feedback, give them choice about who they'd like to give that feedback to. But best practice is usually someone independent, but I defer mm. to the client's option. And the third one is think about the best format for that type of client. So some clients really like a face-to-face discussion. They hate those surveys. They hate <laughs> numbers of questions and all of those things. You know, whereas other clients I've found, they really like an editable PDF. Yeah. Some clients like to talk over the phone. So be ready for that, you know, those changes, the style of client, particularly if you've got clients who are working from home, you know, or who are on, you know, some flexible arrangement. You know, so be ready for that. So timing, choice and format. Okay. In respect of format, I suppose in my mind when you say format, I think, oh, certain surveys follow a different certain sort of format. So face-to-face is usually sort of in-depth, you know, trying to delve down, spend a lot of time with the client. Telephone might be more around end of matter, short and sharp, trying to get a net promoter score. But what you're saying is perhaps you can, no matter what your outcomes you're desiring, you can can tailor it to those formats? Correct. That's exactly what I'm saying. Yep. Cool, cool. In terms of choices to who to provide feedback to, now that's really interesting. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So as I'm putting my marketer's hat on here. Yeah. There's been some partners over the journey that have said to me, you can't do this survey, the client's really unhappy with this, you're just going to make it worse. And, yep. I, and I wonder if they they then might have said, oh, look, I'll do the survey. <laughs> and All right. So I know you, you obviously need to trust your partners, but in really tough, with really tough feedback, I, I suppose it's just a natural disposition to maybe just try and sugarcoat it or ameliorate it a little bit. Yeah. Do you yeah. think that's a fair call? Look, I think it's a fair call, but we go back to that that little chat we had before, which is about how is the information going to be used? Yeah. Uh, and, and if I thought it was going to be really harsh feedback and I wasn't sure how it was going to be used or, you know, who mm-hmm. else was going to read it, for, you know, yeah. yeah. I mean, so what benefit does it create? If the client's already in a stage of being, you know, a bit cranky with you, is it just going to make them crankier, particularly on the timing, depend, you know, yeah. and this is the lag between 
whatever incidents there were that created an issue and then when you're asking for feedback. So, you know, it's, you know, that's where we get into the context of it. So if the client was cranky and then you asked for feedback a year later, they're just, yeah. you're just going to demonstrate actually. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe when you fell down, I don't know. Your total lack of caring. Exactly. So I think there's, you know, a couple of things there. It's really hard to answer that one, though, Robert, because it it all goes down to why were they cranky and do we care? And what I mean by do we care, sometimes firms can bend over making the wrong clients happy. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it might be that you needed to make them unhappy, to be fair. Yeah. But, you know, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, no, I get that. Totally get that. Yeah. And I really like the concept because all of a sudden you're, you're saying to the client, you know, it's not just that throwaway, your feedback is important to us. It is, it is actually important to us, but we want to do it in a way that, that works really well for you. Yeah, yeah. No. I mean, what you know, you've got to think about, and I suppose we, we might talk about this a little more, but what benefit is there to the client? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. And I think that's often totally ignored um, in the process yeah. is, you know, it's, it, you're right, it's, it's probably, in my experience, very often it's more about, you know, how are we going and how can we improve our services rather than, okay, well, you know, is there any, anything that we can do for the client and, and how do we then add value through the process to the client? Yeah, what can we learn? I mean, clients, yeah. good clients often want you to stay around and they want their often flattered that they're asked or they like providing things that you're going, you know, that will help the service. But if, you, if you're using the client's time to provide feedback, you know, for a bulk bit of research or something like that so you can win an award, you know, <laughs> clients are getting a bit annoyed with that. You're using their time so you can go out and say which awards you've won. Yeah, exactly right. So can I add, um, what's your experience with um, where a client has like a full team of lawyers, so an in-house department? Yeah. Do you go to everyone in that department or do you go to just the general counsel? Because I find you'd probably get very different feedback if you went. You're you know, right. Yeah, down the ranks. Yeah. And yep. people are but, sort of in and out of it every day. Yeah, you're spot on. It is quite different and it's it's more difficult to do, Paul, when there's a lot Again, we go back to asking, yeah. you know, the, the client, what is the best way that they want to share the feedback with you? And that might be with the general counsel or it might be with a point of contact that is managing the relationship day to day. And this is where the client relationship partner would really have a feel for the hierarchy and the politics because yeah. oftentimes you'll have a general counsel who will say, look, I don't get involved in day to day. Like if you had panel relationships. Sure. You know, they'd like to know that's going on, but they don't need to be involved. Others might want to be more involved. And then there's, depending on how they want to be involved, with some clients, uh, you know, let them choose their format. So with yeah. some clients, we know that they like circulating a document and then the group shares their feedback and that comes back to us. Other times they might like a focus group you know, or a conversation with a few of them in 
and other times they'd like us to do it one-to-one and then the general counsel will ask to see the feedback as well. And sometimes they'll say no, <laughs> so, you know, because yeah. and you do, you know, like it's not all it's not all rainbows and, and uh, butterflies. You know, sometimes you will have clients that say, "Yeah, no." If we start giving you feedback, we've got to give everyone feedback, mm. and you know, it just that becomes this goes to the benefit to the client, you know. And if they see this as a process, and they've got to do it for you, and then everyone else that can store it or stop it. What other ways? could you potentially make a survey beneficial for, for the client? So we're giving them choice and we're doing it in a format that they like. You know, is it sort of demonstrable change in the way you do things? Is that a key way of adding back value? Or? Okay, let me think about that, Robert. One of the things in giving value back is the timing for your feedback. Mm-hmm. And some general counsel have said they'd like to give feedback if, for example, if on staff reviews, on performance reviews, and one said to me, I'm just surprised that I'm never asked about the performance of key people when they're being put up for senior associate or put up for mm. partner. Mm. Why wouldn't the firm ask for some feedback, you know, from the key clients? Okay, yeah. <laughs> you know, and so that's a benefit mm. to them. Yeah. You know, other benefits might be that, if the feedback goes into a particular process that you're looking to improve or you're just, you know, if you wanted to check on a particular deal and how you went, then brainstormed with the client, okay, in hindsight this is how this happened, but what would we do differently? If this was to happen again, what do you think? Clients can explain to you the hierarchies and cultural nuances of their organisations in in a conversation. and. That makes their job easier if you're respectful of or you understand yeah. the the culture of an organisation and that comes out a lot in these client discussions. Do you find that they also generate ideas for new value adds, these surveys? Like in, instead of just getting feedback on you are great or not so great, do you find you get feedback that's we would really love to, love to do this with your firm and... If that was something you offered, that'd be exceptional. Or is that? I know it's a different sort of topic, but it feels like it would come up in those kind of. Yeah, no, you're right. It, it, it normally does come up in, in these conversations where you're testing the value adds you're providing and seeing if it really does provide value. Because mm-hmm. often value adds will be charged for. It's not just free stuff. Sure. Yes, you can absolutely test what you're providing, or more importantly, ask if. And there's another provider who's doing something that you should take the leaf out of their book. And another provider might not be another law firm. It might be some other supplier or professional service firm that they work with. Often I hear some great ideas coming out of what the banks are doing with them or what their IT team providers are doing with them. So far as training or support or just taking the time to understand their business. So Mm-hmm. Stop looking at your competitors and look outside the market. Sometimes that's where clients are getting the best ideas. Yep. Okay. Cool. Mm-hmm. So the, we've decided to do a customer survey and, and yep. we're getting, getting ready to roll it out. Mm-hmm. What are the most effective ways to communicate to your clients that you do want to do a survey? Okay. So we start off, Robert, by thinking 
have we told them about this when we started working with them? <laughs> yeah, do not. we say that actually at Firm ABC, you know, we'd like hearing from, you know, feedback from you and you're welcome to give that to me anytime during this or here's a person, an independent person or the managing partner or chairman to whom you can always escalate issues. So that type of chat at the start. But I think your question is, is right, we're about to start mm. and now how do we communicate? Is that right? It is, it is. I like, yeah, yeah. I like your preface though. It'd be nice if... It'd <laughs> be nice if you... Yeah. So I find it useful that the client relationship partner is the person who raises this with their client. Yeah. That is often by email mm-hmm. or it's recommended you do that by email and so you introduce the idea to the client and ask if they'd be willing to participate. That's good. Yeah, I like that. So, yeah, rather than some nondescript person in the marketing team firing it off, yeah. Well, you know, if we're looking at the role of a client relationship partner, this Mm. would absolutely be, you know, part Mm. of their role. Mm. Now, you know, certainly someone in marketing can organise the logistics Mm. or follow up. Maybe the managing partner or chairman might be in the loop and following up. But if we're talking about who invites them, um, I think it's useful that the client knows that the partner they've been dealing with Mm. or the partner responsible is the person who's putting this forward, that it's not one of those suspicious checks. Am I, is this, you know, (laughs) is my lawyer being checked on by the chairman or the managing partner for a reason? You know, so let's keep the client relationship partner in control. Cool, cool. Yeah. One of the things I've I've often seen is firms doing mid-matter surveys. Do you have any thoughts on on, on those? Because I know at times partners have been very concerned that they do annoy clients because you're sort of in the middle of a cut and thrust and then they're stopping. Yep. If mid-matter surveys were imposed on by someone else other than the client relationship Mm. partner, because they know the type of work. Yeah. Then I think it, you know, it's a bit of a recipe for disaster mm. there. Yeah. Because you know we're stopping the client mid, you know, business stream to ask mm. them for some updates. Now, if you're talking though about, let's say, a piece of litigation, mm. or it's a long type of project mm. where there are logical milestones through that, and the partners had that discussion with the client at the start, you know, and let's say even if you had a fee structure on a milestone billing structure, then, then it would be useful because mm-hmm. then we'd say, okay, here's where we were unsure what was going to happen, mm-hmm. you know, how the other side was going to respond and, you know, so it would be more of a strategy discussion as well. How yeah. do we go? Now let's make sure that we're still on, on track for a strategy or do we need to yeah. update that? Then it would make sense as part of the strategy. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Sort of like a half, yeah. half-time huddle at the footy. Mm. Exactly. Mm. Or quarter time if you watch AFL. Obviously, it's it's really good manners to say thank you to clients for participating. But what are, what else should you provide them with feedback on? If you've put a request out to a whole lot of clients to provide feedback, let's say if you joined a piece of syndicated research, for example, or you're doing it as an annual or a once-off project where you're getting client uh, feedback from clients, I think it's always 
useful to share what that feedback was from your project with all the clients mm. that you've asked. So let them know the good things but also where you're going to concentrate on the things yeah. that you've learnt and what you're going to do So as a result. So it's closing the loop. If it was just feedback with a client about a particular team or on a particular matter, along with the thank you, the partner would, you know, might want to respond to a couple of things raised or mm-hmm. at least say, look, I'll pass on your good words or good wishes mm-hmm. if it was all terrific. Let's pass those on in writing mm-hmm. to the people that they applauded. So, yeah, just always close the loop. Okay, it's good. Yeah. Yeah, I think one of the complaints I've often heard from clients is that they don't feel that they've been heard and if you just thank them but don't provide them with any feedback then mm. and they don't feel like they've been heard, it's just, it's just gone through the process. Yeah, and that can often be if you've had, let's say, an external body do it with no one from mm. the firm attending so they don't and the partners don't hear the feedback. So mm. can I just take it one step further and say I'm, I'm often surprised at how little the feedback from clients is shared within a firm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So for sure the client expects that everyone's heard or people have heard about the feedback they've given. When no one says anything, the client starts wondering, well, who who heard this and (laughs) and was I heard? (laughs) Whereas feedback from clients should be shared with the entire firm. If you did it for all your clients, what happens if there was something really negative about one lawyer in particular and then you didn't yeah. share that feedback? I, I imagine that would be the um, risk of sharing it with everyone uh, in the firm? I or think, you know, the oh, you wouldn't share that with anyone, everyone yeah. in the firm. The wider you share it, mm-hmm. the more you might edit any personal observations. Yeah. Yeah. And keeping in mind, particularly in Australia, how people might describe things can be quite blunt. Mm. So let's say if you have a client saying, look, Sally, lawyer, you know, she wasn't bad. Yeah. Now, <laughs> when it's written down, it can be that, out of context, yeah. It's like, well, she's not bad, that's a, that's a that, you know. And, and in the Australian vernacular, if they said that Sally, lawyer, wasn't bad, in fact, she wasn't bad at all. Yeah. That's now, a compliment. We know that's yeah. a really good compliment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so if I was sharing it with a wider firm, I'd share general lessons, I'd share mm-hmm. some quotes and maybe some quantitative scoring, client effort score, client net promoter score, for mm-hmm. example. Certainly when I do feedback, if I've got anything that's quite personal, it doesn't help anyone else knowing knowing that, you know, the mm-hmm. particular personal feedback, I share that with the partner involved, and I let the client know that I won't take their notes or what they've said verbatim, but I will share the tone and the intent of it. Mm -hmm. And then when I ask the client, what is the intent of you telling me this, it becomes a little bit of a different story. But how they express it in the first way might be a bit blunt. Mm. Yep. Yeah. So I'd have different ways of sharing the feedback, different scales Mm. across the firm. But absolutely, you know, feedback, if you had a look and collected feedback, let's say from government clients or feedback from clients that had the same job title and at least said, 
What do all our HR buying clients say is the most important value add that they, they get? Yep. You're going to start seeing a picture across the data. Absolutely. And that's the power of it. Mm. Yep. Yeah, as opposed yeah, to individual comments perhaps. Mm. Yeah. Okay. yeah. How often should, well, that's actually your question itself. So should or is it beneficial for law firms to conduct a rolling program or is it better to conduct a client listening or a survey program, say, once a year or once every six months as opposed to just a continual program? Yeah. Okay. It might annoy you, Robert, mm. but I'm going to say it depends. <laughs> <laughs> So there's two different types of feedback. We've mm. got relationship feedback, which is around the gen overall relationship with mm. the firm. Mm -hmm. And then you've got transactional feedback, mm -hmm. which is about a matter or a project mm. or a milestone. Transactional feedback is useful on a rolling program. So, you know, mm. close enough as possible to a milestone, be it the mm -hmm. end or a major milestone in between. So that's on a rolling program. yeah. yeah. And the reason why I say it depends for that relationship piece is that some clients you might just need to touch base as a formal feedback maybe once every two years mm -hmm. and the rest of the time you've got a well-oiled machine with the firm where the client relationship partner and the client, you know, are catching up in teams and going through strategy every quarter. And so really the client feedback is just there at the you know, end of every couple of years. Where I've been involved in other relationship feedback in a block has been if a firm has brought a practice in, a lateral hire, or they have merged with the practice, and then we, you know, then what we might do is a temperature check yeah. on just how things are going at a certain time. Under those circumstances, you might decide to do a block or audit a certain section of the clients and just see how things are going. Okay. Um, that's an interesting concept. I like the idea of, of yeah, with, particularly with lateral hires, having that check-in, yeah. Um, yeah, to see how particularly how their clients are going and, and going with the firm because usually they've been with the, the partner themselves for a while. Exactly. But it might be what they're experiencing within the firm. Okay. Yep, yep. I really like that. One of the most successful client listing programs I've ever been involved in was, was in-depth and was conducted by an external interviewer. And I think what I really liked about the program is it provided really rich insight and actually involved saving a couple of clients for the firm, which was quite interesting. From um, leaving? Where, yeah, from leaving where the yeah. feedback, and it wasn't matter specific, but where the relationship had soured to an extent where they were either actively looking or in the, about to leave. When should firms use the services of, a, of an external or a professional interviewer as opposed to, to doing it themselves? Yeah, I don't think it's an either or. I think the, having an external program is really useful if it supports your resources, if mm -hmm. it supports the partners in getting it done, and perhaps if you're interested in benchmarking your results, you know, with other firms mm -hmm. that, that researcher might as, might have done yeah. so that can be useful yeah okay cool okay um we're sort of getting towards the end end of the spiel and i've really enjoyed it um some really great tips for people doing surveys and, and, and client interviews are there any 
you know, final comments or pearls of wisdom that you have for someone who's just about to embark upon on this exercise? I'll give you a tip of purest gold here. (laughs) And that is start off with a sample of one. Mm -hmm. Too Mm -hmm. often times I've seen firms freeze because it's going to be a big campaign Mm -hmm. and we need to get 20 or 30 or 100 clients ready Mm -hmm. and they're all going to be surveyed and it just becomes a big hot mess. Mm -hmm. Rather than wait until you have the absolute perfect conditions and the perfect score and the perfect questions, why not start out with a sample of one friendly client? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And ask for some feedback and then go back and say, well, how did that feel? You know, mm. here's some questions I might try. Maybe I need to give Sue Ella a call just to see what <laughs> questions we should ask. Yeah. But then, you know, that confidence big and experience in asking it then keeps building and then you're because you're really getting ready for different situations. So my tip is start with a sample and even if it's just one, accept that it might not be perfect but you've made a start. Mm-hmm. So many clients that I interview tell me they have not spoken, not been asked for feedback by any other firm and yet firms tell me they're all asking for feedback but I'm not, I'm not seeing a crowded marketplace yeah. and I'm not seeing clients saying, that they're getting a bit cranky because they're being asked too often. Mm. They're more cranky that they're not asked or they're asked in the wrong way or they're asked to fill out award forms. Mm. I like that. That's, um, you know, it's the exact advice that probably Paul would give to someone who was wanting to develop a, um, you know, like an online product, you know, that minimum viable product approach. Yeah. Yeah, so rather than perfecting it, and you could even have a bit of, not a bit of fun, but you could experiment a little bit with questions and see which ones really resonate and, and work well and, yeah, rather, mm-hmm. than, rather than trying to perfect it. Yep, and start start with your friendly clients. Yes. Mm. Don't make it that hard that you're starting with the worst-case litigation, <laughs> you know, or family law matters. They're always difficult and personal. So ask, you know, an, mm. a, a long-standing client, one who's been loyal, you know, and one who might feel that they've been taken for granted. So mm. your win straight away is that you're letting your client know that you don't take them for granted. Yeah. And then everyone's happy. Excellent. Great advice. Yeah. If you could lead any other company in the world other than Pradonovich Advisory, which one would right. that be? Which one? That would be Pradonovich Travel Agency. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'd be sorting out my next trips or something. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Pradonovich First Class Flights and Cruising Travel Agency. Then they give me the free flights. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, finally, how can people connect with you? Oh, okay. Well, thank you, Paul. Oh, they okay. can connect with me a number of different ways. <laughs> On my website is my blog. My website is www.prodonovich.com. And do you mind if I spell out Prodonovich? Go for it. <laughs> So it's P for Peter, R-O-D-O-N-O-V-I-C-H. Great. It's like saying that Gogomobile ad, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so all of my contact details, my phone, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Mm -hmm. you name it, all of those. So whatever method you like, 
contact them when you only can. I've got that choice. <laughs> You've got choice. Just I not after it. hours. Yeah. <laughs> well, again, Sir, I'd really like to thank you. There's some real gems in, in that discussion and I think it would be really helpful for people who are, who are embarking upon a, a client survey or client list. Um, yeah. Can be a bit of a harrowing task, particularly for junior marketing people, I think, and they run into all sorts of barriers. But I think you provided some great advice. And of course, if they get stuck, they should just give you a yell. Yep. Hopefully they do. But thanks so much. And thank <laughs> thanks you so for much inviting for inviting me. Very welcome. Thanks, Sue Bye bye. See ya. Bye. Thank you for listening to Professionally Challenged. Visit our website at www.professionallychallenged.com and please leave us a review on iTunes. Until next time, bye for now.